The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show really is about the the connection that people have with people who pass to the other side, who, who die, and the love that continues and it also is really about grieving and how to get over grieving and how to move beyond that grieving. Today we are interviewing a wonderful guest, Jerry Weinstock, who has been an actor, artist, producer, and author. And he wrote a groundbreaking book about women called Breasts. Women Speak About Their Breasts and Their Lives. And that book was hailed by the Washington Post as an important contribution his most recent book, which I have sitting right in front of me, is called Joyride, How My Late Wife Loved Me Back to Life. And this book was um, written, it was really a, a grief memoir, and I, I found it very, very touching. He also has written several other books that are going to be forthcoming, and he works with those who are grieving to help them to, to move beyond the grief. You can find out more about his book at dreammasterbooks.com. And we thank you for joining us all the way from uh, New York. Thanks, Jerry. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Jerry, why is it that you wrote this book, Joyride? Well, uh, I experienced something extraordinary. And uh, while it was happening to me, I just kept jotting down notes. I've had a compulsion to record and journal, but as it continued, I realized that uh, what I experienced had to be shared with with the public. Uh, I experienced, I think, something miraculous. My late wife, uh, who was my soulmate and the love of my life, uh, when she passed, I was devastated. Uh, I didn't know if life really was worth living anymore. And then a remarkable thing happened. She began to communicate with me through words and visions and dreams. And she led me over the course of a year on an incredible journey to heal my grief. So uh, not only is it miraculous, but I learned some very... uh, very important lessons about how to heal grief that could apply to other people's lives. We all will face loss, 
Uh, that's part of the small print that's written on the love that we have for those in our lives, that there's a probability we will lose them. And so learning how to, learning how to deal with, this, with loss, profound loss, is one of the, one of the uh, great, um, I guess, mountains we climb as human beings in this life. You know, when I was reading the book, I saw that she was a, a really incredible woman. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her? Because I think the way that she was, even when she was alive, was such that she was um, really had a higher consciousness, didn't she? Well, yes, she she was. She uh, and many things uh, attributed to that. Uh, she was, in fact, baptized by Ernest Holmes, the founder of the science of mind. Uh, so, from the very early age, she was steeped in in uh, the new thought uh, and in metaphysics. Uh, she lost her first two children, and that she said was. Uh, Broke her open and 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 um, forced her to reach depths within herself she wouldn't have been able to otherwise. She uh, became an astrologer, was fascinated with astrology when it wasn't fashionable to be fascinated with it, and wound up becoming a renowned astrologer. Uh, she had her the first uh, television show on astrology in the United States in the mid seventies and was a frequent guest on a lot of. Uh, local, t- you know, talk shows and so on as an uh, astrology expert. And when she, interestingly, when she uh, began to lose her vision due to macular de- degeneration in the last few years of her life, uh, her psychic vision uh, opened up and she was able to uh, give people psychic readings. So she was. She was a, a very, very wise and enlightened uh, person. In fact, when she, a few weeks before, she, first of all, I wanted to step back for a moment and say that she spent the last few months of her life, knowing she was terminal from breast cancer, planning a celebration of life party, a uh, graduation party, as she called it, for herself, that was sort of like a wedding, 200 guests, uh, you know, luncheon, uh, music, entertainment, all of which she planned. And when I said to her, honey, in your last days, is this what you want to be doing? She said to me, I love making parties. Mm. Why not? What else, why, what else should I do? <laughs> so she was, she was a very, uh, she was an exceptional being. You know, I, I think I say this in the book, but I, I always knew she was a very, a very high being, how high I didn't realize until the last days because of the way she approached her imminent death. Uh, she was totally embracing of it, showed no fear, uh, had lived a, a, a long and wonderful life, and was a real friend. People have said that there are many teachers in this world who teach us how to live, but for them, joy What's her name, by the way? Right. Uh, Joy was the only one who taught them how to die. So yes. she was an extraordinary being. In fact, she actually uh, began teaching me how to grieve before she left this, what Shakespeare called this mortal coil. A few weeks before she passed, she 
asked me to tell her everything I had been feeling. Uh, I had known she was terminal for a year prior, but didn't tell her because she had told the doctors. She really didn't want to know. Until she was feeling symptoms, she said to the doctor, you worry about it. I'll come for my test, but I don't want to know. But I knew. And every day in the morning, I would cry in the shower and then put on a happy face to to have a wonderful, as wonderful a day as we could together. And when she found out seven weeks before she passed that she was terminal, she asked and knew that I had known, she asked me to tell her how I f- felt and what I'd been going through. And at first I was very reluctant since my, my uh, M.O., my uh, imperative was to protect her, and I didn't want to burden her, burden her with my grief and my devastation. She insisted. She said, if you don't, you know, that the, the basis of our relationship and what, one of the things that made it so wonderful was our communication, and that if I didn't share with her, then she had already died, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't accept it. So she, so I took a bottle of vodka at ten in the morning and began drinking, <laughs> so that I would get the courage to override the programming yes. to burden her with what I knew would burden her. And I began to speak and I began to share and I told her I felt like I was tied to a railroad track and that a speeding tr- oncoming train was about to tear me into a million pieces. Oh. After hours of tears and tissues. I, had, I, I was spent, and she looked at me and she said, if my death destroys your life, then our love was a poison pill. Yes, yes. And I won't accept that. Oh, that, you know, I'll tell you, that is, um, she was so connected, right? She was so connected yes. to... Yes, and she said, so you'll swear to me now. Yeah. That for my sake, for her sake, not for me, but for her sake, I'd be open to new life and to new love, even better than what we had shared. And at that point, I, would, I was, felt like I'd been waterboarded by my own tears and crying for hours. I said, yeah, 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 sure, sure, okay, anything. But she was wise, and she had had a lot of losses in her life, and her two children, her brother, whom she idolized at 24, her parents, many other relatives and friends. And so she had built a muscle around grief and loss. And in the months that followed, when I didn't want to get out of bed, and when I didn't care what happened to me, I remembered that I'd promised her that our love wasn't a poison pill. Mm -hmm. And I dragged myself out of bed, not for me, but for her sake. Yes to somehow pick up any thread of hope, any, any possibility of healing, because for her, I was going to heal my grief. Yes. So, Jerry, we talk on this show about forgiveness. We talk about outer conflicts. We talk about guilt and blame and all these things, and a lot of those feelings come up as inner conflict when we're going through a grieving process, whether it's the death of a loved one or a divorce or any kind of loss. So why don't you talk to us about that, and how did you deal with that? Well, I I was fortunate in a way that uh, many other people who've lost loved ones aren't. My loved one gave me permission to heal. When she told me 
Our love is not a poison pill, and I demand that you heal for my sake. She gave me something that is really very, very valuable because most people who have lost a loved one, I found, from working with people in grief, uh, have, are very reluctant to give up their pain. They equate the degree of their pain with the depth of their love. And so to give up their pain feels like giving up their love and losing that connection with the loved one. And so they wrestle with those conflicting emotions for a much longer time until they get to a place where they can give themselves permission to heal. But Joy gave me that permission right away. And so the first step that I ask someone who is going through grief is, can they give themselves permission to heal? Right, right. And sometimes people feel guilty. Well, if I heal, then that, then, then they, I feel guilty like I'm abandoning my loved one. Well, then the question is, if you know, I sometimes ask them to do a thought experiment. And if they were the one who was passing on, would they want a cloud? Would they want their death to be the cloud over their loved one's lives forever? Right. <laughs> or would they want their loved ones to grieve just as much as they have to and then to see the sun again and to find joy in their life again? In fact, the great, the great uh, task, I think, for anyone going through grief is to make the loss, if the love was a gift in their life, then the great task is to make the loss a gift as well. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is possible. Uh, so many times, I know that I uh, gained so much through what I went through in moving through my grief, working with my grief, and dealing with the loss of joy, that at the end of a year, I could literally say that the love and the loss were equally a gift. Yes. And you know, like what you said when she, when her two children, she had a baby that died and then she had an 11-year-old that died, that, that it broke her open, her heart opened. And one of the things that, that people don't think about at the time but can see it later is that that severe pain, that severe loss does break open their heart. And and when their heart is broken open, it allows more love to come in. More. Exactly. The process is painful, but the heart grows bigger. Yes, yes. So what, you know, when you went through this, I know you also said in the book that you just felt like dying. I mean, you're not saying, hey, you know, accept it and move on. You have to go through those stages, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no, there's no, I was told early on, I didn't want to hear it, but I found out it was very true. They told me, there's no getting around the grief, you have to move through it. Uh, someone else, when I told someone, I'm, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, <laughs> they said, okay, you are drowning, but you have a choice. You can either just drown, or you can put on some scuba equipment and do some deep sea diving into your depth. Yes. Uh, you know, there's something about uh, when you're standing in the ruins of your life, which is how it feels uh, when you've lost a loved one, and all your routines, all your life as you knew it is swept away by a tsunami. Uh, it's devastation, and yet there's possibility. Yes. Because yes. everything now is possible, 
and the 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 moving through the grief is a day by day process. Uh, it took me a year, and it was very accelerated by the fact that my loved one was communicating with me every step of the way and telling, suggesting I do this, or suggesting I do that. At one point. Uh, I don't know if you read it in the book, uh, she suggested, inspired me to go on a journey of a thousand hugs. Yes, yes, I remember that. Uh, and, uh, you know, so when people ask, my friends ask, what can we do for you? Uh, I said, would you hold me? Uh, in the beginning, I was very reluctant. It seemed very unmasculine and very weak. But, uh, you know, I really took <laughs> joy very seriously. And so I asked to be held. And my friends uh, from L.A. are fairly touchy-feely and okay <laughs> about uh, hugging and holding. And, and they held me. And they held me for 5, 10, 15 minutes, sometimes a half hour. And they would just, I would just lie in their arms like, a, like an infant, like a baby, like a child yes. that, had been, that had fallen or woken up from a terrible nightmare. And I found it so extraordinarily healing. Yes. And uh, I, I lived off these hugs for many months. And uh, I, later I did research about it because I wanted to understand why they were so, so healing. And uh, it's clear the science proves it. Uh, never under, underestimate the power of a hug. Exactly. Like little babies, you know, if they're not touched when they're little, they, they don't socialize right. So obviously, exactly. yeah, yeah. And one of the things that happens uh, for when you lose a spouse in particular is that you, you've lost, and I'm not talking about sex. I'm just talking about the, the, the sleeping next to somebody, the, right. the automatic and instinctive ways that you touch throughout, throughout a day when you're with somebody. You've lost that. And so you're not only... Uh, psychically alone, but you're physically alone, and that physical aloneness just adds to the stress in your body and adds to the sense of devastation that you feel. I know. So being it, touched is yes. a very key uh, ingredient in helping you move through grief. I know when my when my husband has to go out of town, I make sure that the golden retriever gets in bed with me. <laughs> mm. well, <laughs> and I'm okay, laying next go. to my golden retriever, a little furrier, but you know, <laughs> but it's still that I can hear the breath, I can I can feel him. You know, it's it's the same kind of a thing. I get it. Oh so yeah. Let's yeah. talk about how how joy did communicate with you from the other side. I I think that's wonderful. How how did she do that? Well, uh, I began to, you know, I tried in my meditation to speak to her. Uh, I, I would, uh, and I would hear words, and I would carry on a conversation. I sometimes said, am I talking to myself? Right, right. And the answer I would get back is, of course, how can it be any other way, since we're all one? <laughs> Or am, am I, you know, another time I said, am I talking to myself? Because I was always doubting these communications all the time uh, throughout the year. No matter how incredible they were, I would doubt it the next day. And uh, one time she said, uh, yes, in the beginning you are talking to yourself, but that's like a beacon. It sends a kind of beacon out into the into the ether, and it calls me. And so after a while, you're not talking to yourself anymore. Yes. It's a way to kind of prime the pump. Yes. Uh, 
But and I had dreams, of course. I had uh, visions. Now, was it real, real vivid? I know because I I remember when my father-in-law died, who I was very close to, and when he died, I had a dream about him, and it was so incredibly vivid. I could see those blue eyes. I could hug him and feel him. It was so vivid that I really, really thought I was there. When I woke up, I mean, I really expected him to be there. Well, uh, you know, they they say that the the departed often communicate through dreams, and in those kinds of dreams, it's very vivid. Yes. It's not like a typical dream. Uh, It has a kind of uh, intensity and vibrance that's that's really like a vision in a way. Yes. Now, of course, you know, and I don't know if it's something you want to get into or not, but there was a a kind of sexual erotic component to some of the communications. Well, you could talk a little bit about it, but, you know... (laughs) As long as it doesn't get lewd, I guess we're okay. Well, they were. I experienced them through a, a through a third party. Uh, for your listeners who are familiar with the movie Ghost, uh, if they can, if they remember in the final scene when Patrick Swayze uh, uses Whoopi Goldberg's body, she's the medium to kiss Demi Moore. Right. Thing like that happened very unexpectedly when I was being given a massage as a gift by a dear friend who was the person who gave Joy her last massage two weeks before she passed on. Um. And this person offered to give me a massage as just a way to to uh, minister to my grief, and I was very happy to, I knew how important touch was, and I was very happy to receive it. And while I'm on the table, she's in my home, uh, and I'm on her massage table uh, getting the massage, I have this distinct impression of Joy's presence. I even hear the words, you're in my hands. Mm-hmm. And then I break myself, which I often did. You know, I said, stop it, Jerry. You're just, you're fantasizing and you're consoling yourself with this fantasy. And you're just a pathetic, grieving widower. So stop it. Just mm-hmm. have your massage. Joy doesn't have to be here. <laughs> uh, an hour later, I open my eyes and my friend is, uh, says to me, you'll never believe what happened. And I said, what? And she proceeds to tell me that she saw Joy. She saw an apparition of joy, and the joy had been instructing her how to give the massage, and, in, and, had, and at times had used her hands as a portal through which to work on me. Wow. I was stunned. I was stunned. The next morning, I, in meditation, I asked Joy, is, is this real, or did I just make this up? Did I imagine this? And the answer I got was, yes, it's real. And I said, what should I do? And the answer was, don't do anything. I will inspire her. Two weeks later, I get an a, uh, email from this friend saying, I just got a message from Joy. It's time to have your next session. And uh, now knowing that this was about to happen, I began to refer to it as a rite of joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lit candles and created a kind of sacred space to honor this. And once again, I experienced... Uh, you know, I experienced ecstasies, and yet all I was being was touched. You know, I was yeah. I was touched, and I would go into into sort of shakes, things that don't happen on a massage table. Anyway, this happened ten times throughout the year. These rites of joy, I never asked for any of them. They were all different. They were all extremely healing in one way or another. There were times when I was sobbing 
my heart out, and in orgasmic bliss at the same time. It was so intense, I didn't think I could stand it. Mm. Uh, But what I realized and what I discovered and what Joy had told me was that when love, which when love, which is the substance of the afterlife, the actual substance, is transmitted here, it is felt as ecstasy. Mm. And she was, though I experienced it in a kind of sexual ecstatic way, she was working on me. She was just transmitting love and working on my various, I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know all the ways that she was working on me, but each time I learned something, I got a message, I got a vision through it, and uh, the last one, I saw every touch were highlights of our life together. It was extraordinary. Wow. It was every place I was touched on my body. I saw images from our life together, and I knew she was saying goodbye. Hmm. It, it that it of, would never happen again, right. and it, it didn't. She was. That was when you were healed. That, that was uh, when I you was could healed, let go. and I had. You know, I, I I had at one point attended a grief ritual, a formal grief ritual based on African traditions out in Ohio. Uh, you're familiar with Ohio, right? Out in a field at night, uh, and I was at what they call the Well of Tears, where a number of people were on their knees weeping about whatever they were grieving about. And I had my head down on the ground, and I was coming up for air and going down again crying, and I heard Joy's voice saying to me, it's all a gift, the love and the loss. Hmm. And at the time, I couldn't quite accept the loss as being a gift, but by the end of the year, uh, I had gone from grief to gratitude, because I indeed, indeed saw all the gifts that her loss had brought. That is such a perfect way to end, and what a wonderful book, really. So we're, we're just out of time now, Jerry, but uh, I will make sure that people look for Joyride, How My Late Wife Loved Me Back to Life. And you want to just give your website real quick? And Yeah, uh, your listeners, if they want to, there's a, a free first chapter of the book, so they can get a taste of it on the website. It's dreammasterbooks.com, D-R-E-A-M-A-S-T-E-R, books.com. It's also available on Amazon. And uh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you so much, Jerry. And God bless you to keep doing the wonderful work you're doing, helping other people get past their grieving as well. So we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, I look forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can find out more about healing conflict. You can look at our uh, previous guests and upcoming guests, and you can listen to downloaded interviews and download podcasts. We hope to hear from you. Thank you. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.